All right, everybody. All that love going around. Yes. So, hey, how is everyone? Come on, what kind of response is that? Hey. All right, right. That's good. Good to see everybody. But uh, just one second, I got to do something here. You know, you know I'm from Texas, so I got to send something back for my friends. Ready? Okay, one more time. As, as if the noise will register on the... Now, I'm an equal opportunity guy. Got to get this side. Hey. <laughs> oh, oh, can't forget that side. You ready? There we go. Wow, selfies are the thing today. Everyone's taking selfies, especially who? Kim Carr. What's her name? <laughs> she, you know, she's supposed to be the champion of selfies. You know, selfies are just all about capturing, you capturing yourself, you know, in the moment or in the experience. Well, you know, in the same way, there's spiritual selfies. That's capturing ourselves, like who we are, what we are feeling, what we're doing. And sometimes the way we look at ourselves is all dependent upon the lens of which we look. I believe there's two different ways spiritually that we can see ourselves when we do our selfies spiritually. One is by the law. There's a lens that we can see ourselves that is based upon the law. And how many of you know that, here my voice got deep, that the law brings a lot of expectations that often we can't meet? The law a lot of times will bring continual working, trying to achieve. And sometimes we just don't feel good about ourselves as we look at ourselves. Now, the other lens that we can take a selfie is through the lens of grace. And that lens is so powerful because it's not so much seeing us as we see ourselves, but it's seeing us as the way God sees us. And that is powerful. To be able to actually have the freedom to know that we don't have to work towards something or achieve something but when we look through the selfie lens of grace, we see ourselves through God's unconditional love. That no matter where we've been, what we've done, we're loved. And that's amazing. And so one of the major aspects of us to receive God's love is to receive God's forgiveness. So as we look at ourselves spiritually through our, our selfie lens of grace... We see this amazing, crazy forgiveness that God gives us. But a lot of times we look at ourselves through that lens of the law. And we're unable to forgive ourselves. And that can be awfully damaging to our, our, our progress, our walk with God. Is we're just 
we just don't measure up, we're just not good enough. Well, I had a neat opportunity several years ago to go to Uganda, Rwanda, and South Sudan. And while I was in Rwanda, I was on my sabbatical, and I was actually talking to folks that had survived, and these were Christians, that had survived the Rwandan genocide. And my job there, or, or what I was doing, was really interviewing folks and how they were able to forgive those who had committed atrocities toward them. But not only that, how were they able to forgive themselves? Sometimes it may appear to be easier to forgive others than it is to forgive ourselves. Let's look at the clip. When I was in Rwanda, I had an opportunity to speak to a group of pastors that had actually lived through this horrific time in 1994, where almost a million people were slaughtered by one tribe. And as I was listening and sharing with these pastors, one of the pastors stood up and he shared with the group how he was still working through the process of receiving forgiveness. Because what happened to him was that 
during the massacre on, on a Sunday, a group of the tribe that was being slaughtered has sought refuge in his church. And they came there for safety, for refuge. And while they were there and they were actually worshiping, one of the terrorists came, or several of the terrorists came, and they asked for the people within the church to kill him. And so this pastor, you know, said, no, you can't have them. But then the pastor was threatened. They said to him, well, if you don't let us come by, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill your wife. And we're going to kill your children. And he let them come by. So this pastor, many years later, is standing among us and he's crying. And he was talking about, here I was called to shepherd and to protect. And they had come into this refuge And I let those terrorists come in and slaughter them. How am I now supposed to preach the gospel? How am I now supposed to embrace folk and counsel folk when the very thing that I have pledged to God to do because of fear of my own life and my family's life And so he talked about how for years there were nightmares. For years he no longer wanted to preach. For years he no longer wanted to be a pastor. Until God did a miraculous, powerful change in his life. Now, I know many of us, we don't have anything as graphic or drastic as that. But if someone who is called to protect yet allow his people to be slaughtered can receive God's grace and forgiveness and still find use in God, What is that sexual past that we may have and we can't shake it? Maybe some of us were unfaithful in our marriage, in our thoughts, or deed, and the guilt is consuming. Maybe all of us have killed someone, not with a weapon, but maybe with our words. Maybe with our lack of words, withholding words. Maybe you're a man or woman here or a young person could be feeling shame, 
because of an abortion. How could I ever forgive myself for killing my baby? How could I ever forgive myself for giving money for her to kill her baby? And it haunts you at night, even today. Someone may be dealing with a recurring sin or addiction. I think we've all been there. We thought we had it lit, but then it sneaks up on us, and it bites us, and we're like, oh, man, I am so bad. I'm not good at all. And we think we'll never be good enough for God. Or maybe there's a parent in here that's haunted by the mistakes we made in parenting. And our children, they're good at reminding us of those mistakes. But we just can't live in the land of the now. We live in the land of yesterday. We're living in that land of regret. Living in the land if I just was a little bit better. It's that land of shoulda, coulda, and woulda. That voice of condemnation is a voice, and, and, and though it's the original voice of the enemy, it sounds so much like our voice, and it says, you'll never get out of this. You'll never break this. You are so good. You could never be used of God. Look what you have done. And that voice of condemnation, it just drives and it drives and it says I'm, I'm no good and I'm bad and we can't sleep just imagine those folks in Rwanda not only those folks that were able to extend forgiveness but what about those folks that perpetrated the crime as we saw the young man that actually used a machete to kill to steal and destroy. How could he live on? Not only live on, but give on. Well, that same pastor that I was in the mix of, he said that practically day and night he meditates on a particular scripture. And that's the one we're going to share today. It's found in Romans 8, 1 through 5. And as he was standing before us, he says, this is what I hold on to. This is why I get up. This is why I'm still able to pastor and serve and preach the gospel. Because I believe When God says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Remember those selfies? Am I taking the picture of through the lens of the law or through the lens of grace? Let's read this in the message. Same chapter, same verse, Romans 8. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, fleeing freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it already was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. The powerful part of this passage, it says, therefore, now. How do you know that we serve a God of the now? The scriptures say that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our transgressions from us, those of us who are in Christ. And so no longer do we have to be held captive to the chains of the past, those chains of regret, those chains of the woulda, shoulda, coulda, duns. Now we get to live in the now because of Jesus. What Jesus did in AD 33 by dying on the cross, dying for our sins, we get to be free from the past, free from the things that we did, free from the commitments of the horrific things that we committed against others and also against ourselves. College Hill Presbyterian Church, live in the now. See, Paul was writing, because he talked about in chapter 7, he was talking about the weightiness of the law. How we can never own up to, we can never live up to the mandates of the law. How do you know what, if you break the law, you got to pay for it. You know, in the law, if you kill somebody, you got to be killed. If you steal from somebody, something has to be taken from you. That's the mandate of the law. How many of us have tried to live under the expectation of doing it right all the time? Or tried to live under the, the weight of 
things that we've done and it didn't quite please God and it didn't quite please those around us and we're still dwelling on it. What this passage says and God is saying to us today, now, right now is today, that you can be free. See, this Romans 8.1 is a, is a letter of declaration of freedom. You are no longer held by the chains of condemnation. Because, you know, it says there's no condemnation. Condemnation is a legal term, and it means a sentencing. You have been found guilty, and you have been condemned by the judge. Becky beautifully showed that earlier. It is, it is you've come before the judge and the accuser of the brethren, the prosecutor, the enemy, he goes and he looks at Dennis's sins, his past. He goes, this is what Dennis did. He disobeyed his mom. He, 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 he cheated on a test. He did, a, you know, Dennis did all these horrific things. And all I can say is guilty. And then what needs to happen is, is the prosecutor would say, he's condemned, he's guilty. And the judge says, yes, he's guilty. But now, uh, now, because of my son who took his place, who did no harm but took the guilt who took the machete, the crime for killing. Almost a million people were killed in 100 days. Some people who are still alive have to deal with what they did. Only Jesus, only the atoning work of God could ever say, you're not guilty. You don't deserve to be bludgeoned like what you did. College Hill, that is the freedom that we have in Jesus. That is the the, the chains that have been broken because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's the now. God is asking us not to live in the past. Not to live in the hurt. Not to live in the regret. Not to be under the cloud of the darkness of, of, of our remorse. But he says, live in your now. And the now has been bought with a price. Romans 8, 34 says, who will bring any charge against elect, God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. No one can condemn us now. No one can accuse us now. We have been set free. For those who are in Christ Jesus, 
I don't know if there's anyone in here who is living with the weight of guilt or the, or the weight of shame or the, or, the, or the remorse of regret. But God has sent me this morning to tell you that this is a now moment. That you no longer have to be chained to the despair. You no longer have to be filled with the remorse that he is offering freedom now. He did the work so that we can live the life. We're going to talk about real quick the four pillars. Four pillars of forgiving ourselves in Christ Jesus. First, no mistake or sin is greater than God's grace. As we meditate upon God, as we read God's word, as we see the scandalous offer of his grace that is found in forgiveness, nothing can compare to the awesomeness of God. Nothing can compare to the power of God. As we read in scripture and we see the messed up lives of those whom God has chosen, when we see the adulterers, when we see the fornicators, when we see those who've slept, who've slept with their, with their daughter-in-laws, when we see all these amazing folks whom God has used, it says no sin or mistake is greater than God. That's why I love the Bible. Because there's people in there just like me who failed to come to the glory of God. But because of God's grace, he uses for his purposes. So there is no sin or mistake that is greater than God's grace. Just as scandalous is of that God's grace is how scandalous is his forgiveness. Number two. Receiving is a choice. Jesus has already done the work. It's already been accomplished. Our freedom has already been done. We must receive. And we must walk in the grace that God has given. Sometimes it feels like it's too good to be true. How could God actually forgive someone who slaughtered over 20 children? How could God ever forgive someone who cheated on their wife? How could God ever choose forgive someone who aborted their baby? But the law says you have to atone for that. But grace says now. Now. In Jesus, you can be free. We must receive this gift of forgiveness. Have you ever given a gift and the person didn't take it? Doesn't feel so good. But the gift can only be enjoyed as it is received. I read that someone said, 
that when a gift is received, the person is glorified. But when the gift is rejected, our God is mocked. We are to receive this wonderful gift that he bled and died for, for our redemption, our freedom. And I want to distinguish, we're not called to create forgiveness. See, a lot of psychologists and a lot of psychiatrists, you know, they know that it's a good thing to forgive. And, and somehow we have to muster this up through our psyche. The Lord, our Lord tells us we aren't to create forgiveness, we are to receive his forgiveness. This isn't a psychological game or psychological thing that we tell ourselves to release ourselves. This is a supernatural act that was done by a God that loves us so. Thirdly, it's not what you've done, it's what you do next. We don't have to live in the past. We don't have to live in the regret of what we've done. But the question is, what are we going to do with the now? What are we going to do with the propitiation of, of what Jesus did for us? What are we going to do with the freedom that he's given us? Are we going to stay enslaved to the chains or are we going to walk in the freedom that he's given us? And part of the walking of the freedom is repenting. Repenting is an ongoing process of change. We're changing of the way we think, changing of the way we act. It's changing from selfishness to godness. Repentance is a gift. So it's not what we've done. It's about what we're going to do now. We can accept the consequences with dignity because we don't want to give a false illusion. There are consequences to sin. There, 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 there are things that will happen because we set other things in place. But the key is there is now no condemnation. We don't have to be held chained to the regret and to the shame of what that act did. But sometimes we might have to walk in restitution. Sometimes we may have to go to the person and ask for their forgiveness, like we saw Emmanuel do here. Because what it does, it makes the forgiveness real. The Bible talks about there is a repentance that leads to Godly sorrow, that we're sorry for what we've done. Yet because we don't live in tomorrow, we live in the now, we can do it in freedom. And then fourthly, you are not your mistakes. Your identity is not what you did. Your identity comes from whose you are. You are a child of the Most High King. You are called righteous. You are called holy. You are called beautiful. You are the beloved. And the reason those folks can worship 
And the reason I can get up here and preach isn't because I'm so good. It isn't because I've done everything right. It's not because I consider myself holy, but I consider myself in the now. College Hill, I've been redeemed. And I won't allow the chains of unforgiveness to prevent the glory of God to come forth. Because it's like what Becky showed that C.S. Lewis said, we've taken the throne. If we say God cannot forgive and we won't forgive ourselves, we're saying that we're better than God. I have a higher standard than you, God. Yeah. God, I'm, I'm, I'm more righteous than you. I mean, really, because if a holy, righteous God who has no sin can forgive and love us, yet we say we can't love ourselves, we're saying, God, yeah, you're holy and all that, but my standards are better than yours. I can't let it go. I deserve to be punished. I deserve to make my own atonement. The good news is we have a holy other God. We have a righteous God. We have a God that has no impurity, that has no bad thoughts, that has nothing that's evil or bad in him. Yet he's able to forgive us our sins through his son, Jesus Christ. And we can live and walk in that forgiveness. Therefore, now there is no condemnation that is in Christ. College, you'll walk and run in your freedom in Christ.
He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for even the machete killing of children. That's how scandalous, how crazy God's forgiveness is. Will you live in God's grace and forgiveness? Will you take the selfie but view it through the lens of God's grace and love and forgiveness that gives you hope? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you bore our shame. Thank you that you bore our guilt. Thank you that you bore our regret. Father, thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the love that you've given us through your Son. Father, empower us by your Spirit. Not to live according to the law, but live according to your spirit. Father, that we will live in freedom. Freedom of the guilt. Freedom of the weight. And freedom from condemnation. Help us to know our identity in you. Help us to receive freely from you. And Lord, help us to forgive ourselves. Father, we lift up our church, those who are suffering under the weight of oppression, of the guilt and shame of the things they've committed, yet are still living under the the stain of the guilt. Father, we pray, God, that you would bring freedom to their hearts, to their minds. Lord, let them know, God, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Lord, that you have cleansed them from all unrighteousness from the east and as is to the west. You've removed their sins from them. And Lord, may they sleep well at night. Lord, may they be able to serve you with gladness. Lord, may they freely allow your life to flow through them. And may the world see their messed up life and glorify their, their Lord in heaven. Because you redeemed messed up stuff. Thank you for College Hill. Thank you, God, that we aren't perfect. Thank you we're just on a journey that has been set in place by the now. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We live by the Spirit and not by the law. Father, we also want to lift up those in our body who are sick and shut in, those who are suffering in their physical, mental, and emotional bodies, Lord. Father, we pray for Nancy Hemmer. We pray for Tim Duncan, for Helen Brooks. Father, bring restoration, God. Bring healing, God. Let them know, God, that you are with them. You are a present help in their time of need. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for Barb Houston and John Bennett, the Schuberts, Lee Alexander, Bill Phipps, and Bill Carroll, God, Carver. Oh, God, be with them. Let them know, God, that you heal 
us in your, with your presence. You heal us with your love. You heal us with your grace. You heal us with your forgiveness. And in that, they're free. God, just continue, Lord, to bless our church, bless our body. Lord, may we be a body that's known, that loves you, and are loved by you. And we live in grace. In Jesus' name, amen.